This may be an all-election discussion on Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn, here with our sleep-deprived chief political writer, Seth Richardson, our sleep-deprived director of content, Laura Johnston, and Lisa Garvin, who I hope is as fresh as I am because we're going to have to make this conversation sparkle. Happy <laughs> Wednesday. Happy you're only, Wednesday. You're only sleep deprived if you weren't having fun. So, you know, I'm I, I'm feeling good today. <laughs> Did you go it out was... afterwards, Seth? That's what I want to know. It was one o'clock before I, le I left. I, I got to bed around 3.30. Oh. Okay, there All you right. go. Let's see if Seth Richardson, sleep deprived, is also Seth Richardson, tongue tied. Let's begin. Who is Cleveland's mayor elect and how did he win big? Seth Richardson, you know, we thought he'd win. I don't think anybody, anybody I know predicted he would win by such a resounding margin. So let's talk about some of the numbers and then let's analyze where we think this came from. Yeah, I, I certainly didn't predict he would win that big. It felt like it was going to be a much closer race when I was going into the office yesterday. Just, uh, you know, it, I, I don't know. Everything just seemed to see, uh, be pointing to that, but. You know, Justin ended up, Justin Bibb ended up winning with a 25.7 percentage point margin over Kevin Kelly. That is, it was, a, it was a dominant win. There's really no other way to put it. It was better than actually two of Frank Jackson's elections, um, you know, two of his four, and uh, really close to actually a third. It was only a little bit off of another one. So a really, really, um, you know, just again, I can't think of a better word except for dominant. Um, and looking and at what, the... But, but, but think, the, the thing to point out about that is, it's a resounding statement by the voters. Kevin Kelly stood for the status quo. And for reasons I'm not going to understand, he tied his his campaign to issue 24. He just did not have a sense of where the city felt about that. But he's he's the old. He's the Frank Jackson years. Justin Bibb offered people big change, a fresh look. And when they vote in those kind of numbers for that, I think the message is clear. They're sick of the status quo. They want dramatic change, no? Yeah, you clearly have a voting public that is looking for some kind of change. Otherwise, you know, we're talking about we're at like mandate level now for Justin Bibb. When I was going when we were going into yesterday thinking it was going to be relatively close, you know, that that isn't some you know, that isn't something that's necessarily saying, OK, well, we believe in this wholesale, you know, structural change to Cleveland or whatever. But having as big a victory as he did, like, yeah, that we're, we're talking mandate levels now. And drilling down into like the precinct levels, like yeah, that that twenty, you know, twenty five point seven percent percentage point victory margin, yeah, that's a lot. But when you really get into the precinct level data, uh, Justin Bibb won two hundred and twenty nine of the city's three hundred and thirty two precincts. It's seventy two percent of the precincts in this city, and he won. 75% or 75 of those by more than a hundred votes. That's, that's resounding. That is, you know, a massive margin. He won. And he won on both sides of the city. And Kevin Kelly had some very strong West side wards, but, but Justin did get significant portions of the West side and gigantic portions of the East side. Yeah. Did, did really well on the West side. When I broke down the West side split, it was, you know, uh, Kevin had a slight advantage, um, but not by much. And when you look at the east side, though, I mean, the east side voters are really the ones who kind of carried Justin to victory. It was, you know, he got like 23,000 east side votes compared to about 7,000 for Kevin Kelly. So, you know, J uh, Justin Bibb really just kind of cleaned up over on the east side. And I think that was uh, a question that a lot of people had going into yesterday was just how well would he do on the east side since he didn't, you know, necessarily win those uh, those um 
uh, wards over there, those precincts over there. But I mean, very clearly, uh, you know, the, the east side but, voters spoke. All right. But stop there, because it's not just the percentage by which he won. It's the turnout. And mm. there were things that happened very late in the campaign that I would suggest probably drove higher turnout than we might have seen. One, the union guy, Dave Wondolowski, stood on a, sh- a stage with Kevin Kelly on Saturday and said, we're going to kick the ass out of Justin Bibb. That did not play well. The ministers took that to the churches on Sunday. And I wouldn't be surprised if people were fed up with that kind of talk and showed up. The other thing is Zach Reed. Zach Reed was not going to win a statewide race or a citywide race for mayor, but he is very well liked in a corner of the city where he has served as councilman. And he didn't just endorse Justin. He knocked on doors. He made the calls. He worked for him. And you saw some pretty decent turnout there, right? Yeah, turnout was was actually kind of down on the east side. But in terms of the margin of victory, especially in Zach Reed's old, you know, old neighborhoods that he was really focused on in the uh, primary and where he actually did really well in 2017 against Frank Jackson, you're talking margins in like the 85-15, like Justin winning 85-15 and essentially four east side council wards that are around the, uh, the Kinsman Road corridor, like that sort of area. And you know, again, that just that cannot be ignored, right? That, um, you know, I I do think that Zach Reed probably played a pretty big role in, uh, you know, at least making voters comfortable with Justin, if not actually getting voters out for Justin. Well, and one of the chief themes that that Zach Reed has had for years now is we got to get rid of the violence problem. It's it's something he has studied. He's traveled to other cities, and with issue twenty four on the ballot. And and we'll talk about that later on in the podcast, but but it won resoundingly as well, despite a lot of efforts to kill it. It's it seems like that really would help Justin as well. I wouldn't be surprised to see Zach Reed become part of the Justin Bibb administration, having something to do with public safety because he's clearly had his finger on the pulse of it. Uh, What what else do you think that how else do you think issue 24 played into this? I think it very clearly was a giant miscalculation by the Kelly campaign and Kelly supporters, right? Because all throughout the general election, uh, you know, just I, I don't know how many mailers I got that were basically talking about this. You know, it's defunding the police, quote unquote, and it's radical and those sorts of things. But what you clearly saw is that, you know, Cleveland voters, like we said earlier, want some kind of change. They are tired of doing the same things over and over. And I think in a way you know, tying, you know, Justin to issue 24 probably benefited him in a way, right? Where, okay, if, you know, this other guy is kind of for the, for the way things have always sort of been done, because that is sort of the alternative when you make it an issue 24 centric race. And I I think that was actually probably to uh, Justin's benefit, um, you know, in the long run, even though I I think going into yesterday, we there, I at least was questioning, okay, well, you know, we saw some responses from the bib campaign and, you know, you you don't necessarily respond if you're winning big and, you know, they, they did go next negative on a couple of mailers, but very clearly it ended up being a boon to Justin's candidacy. Well, the thing that struck me about that, we had all seven of the candidates in, Lisa will remember this, for an endorsement interview, and Justin was the only one in support of it. And he acknowledged that it's flawed. But what he was saying was, I've talked to the people and the people are, are frustrated. It's surprising to me that Kevin Kelly, who knocked on a lot of doors, Seth, you were out with him for one of the, for a couple of times, he didn't pick up on that. I mean, how did he not hear 
the frustration in the city voters' minds about how unaccountable the police are, that he would tie his entire general campaign to that. Because I think you're right. I think it just fortified Justin Bibb. Justin Bibb never said it's a good law. He said, but it's better to do it than to not do it because of how frustrated people are. Lisa, do you think that that made a big difference with the voters? I do. I do. Because, you know, as you said, people in Cleveland are fed up. I mean, you know, back from the Tamir Rice days all the way up through today, and we've had increasing violence since the pandemic and the George Floyd protests. And I think that weighs heavily on the minds of Cleveland voters. Um, I, I, I don't think they're going to see the nuances that we see as, as journalists, you know, and, and the flaws in the plan. But at least Bib is open to fixing it, you know, because we do, you're actually adding another layer of bureaucracy to this whole, you know, this whole situation. So I, you know, I really hope that he does take a critical look at this and, and see if there are, is room for improvement. But yes, I really think it, it lofted him above everyone else. Okay. Justin Bibb, Cleveland, mayor elect, you're listening to Today in Ohio. Did any of the people running for school board as anti-critical race theory and anti-mask mandates candidates win seats? And if they did, where? Laura Johnston, this really was about Trumpism. This was an effort to continue the momentum of the Donald Trump movement after he lost. Uh, And it was frightening to a lot of voters that this would invade the school boards where all they're supposed to be dealing with is educating children. So in my suburb, you saw a huge turnout for people, lawn signs everywhere for school board because they were not going to allow their school board to be taken over by fringe people. So what happened? What did we see here and elsewhere? Well, about eight of the 34 candidates that had aligned with those Trump values ended up winning last night in the, in Cuyahoga County, where we looked um, that Hannah Drown and Eric Heisig tracked very closely. They had this giant spreadsheet. It's very confusing to know who supports who and who's opposed by who and who's endorsed by who, but they managed to straighten this all out. There was a mix. So those eight candidates did get on, but nowhere did a full slate of anti-CRT, anti-mask folks get on the on the board. And you look at places like Chagrin Falls, where there was a $20,000 donation to one of those candidates, and all, all of them lost. The three people that won in Chagrin Falls were all endorsed by the pro-social-emotional learning, pro-diversity folks. What's interesting is there were a bunch of mixes as well. Um, in Rocky River, in my town, two of the progressive candidates got on and one of the very conservative. So I feel like in some towns, there's going to be some really interesting school board meetings going forward. Yeah, I was glad to see in my town that they got slam dunked and that they won't be there. It, it was interesting to see the, the I haven't had a wait in line to vote and I can't remember how long and I had a wait because people were there. They were there for the school board and for some other things. The uh, uh, Seth Richardson, you were saying that from what you could see across the state of Ohio, they really didn't do that well. Yeah, it looks like uh, basically around the state, this whole anti-critical race theory crowd really didn't prevail. And it it wasn't just in places like, you know, Cuyahoga County, which is more liberal than the rest of the state. We're talking places like, uh, um, you know, Delaware, Ohio, right? A former Republican enclave where you had some of these anti-critical race theory people, you know, anti-mask people as well, uh, really going down. Um, And I I don't know, I found that interesting considering, you know, like what you saw from the national level, but seeing the... uh, uh, you know, th- those sorts of candidates lose in Ohio, which, you know, we've come to think of as this very conservative state, which is 
definitely very interesting. Well, maybe it's just about education. Maybe in the end, people think, okay, we're polarized everywhere in our existence, but schools should be about the kids and we shouldn't allow this kind of nonsense to start to jeopardize the education. And, and that's the line in the sand. I mean, it certainly wasn't a lot of districts in Cuyahoga County. Uh, it'll be interesting to see whether this effort that galvanized candidates and created all sorts of bitterness moves into the city council races, which are largely on the ballot next year, or whether this movement will more seek to deal with galvanizing around the midterms. I, I would love to look at the turnout in the races across the suburbs because, you know, we look at Cleveland turnout, but did this energize? I felt like everybody who had kids in the school was really making an effort to get out the vote, the yard signs that you talked about and the buttons and everything. And it'd be interesting to see how much more, how many more voters came out this time. Lisa? I wonder how much that the coverage of Cleveland.com and the Plain Dealer had to do with this. I mean, on my, you know, neighborhood Facebook pages, people were asking, hey, you know, who who knows anything about our school board members? Are they, you know, anti-CRT, pro-CRT or whatever? But I, you know, I think that the articles that we did to point out who aligned with what values may have helped. Yeah, I'm actually really proud of the work we did on this election from our editorial board's early support of Justin Bibb to to the, the work Seth did to examine all of the issues, the deep dive on the candidates and CRT. It, it, the, the community very much values our presence, and we, I think, fulfilled our role. Uh, I know they were grateful that, that Hannah Drown and company put together those lists. You're listening to Today in Ohio who is the first ever elected mayor of Cleveland Heights, which changed its form of government after a century of having a strong city manager. Lisa Garvin, this turned upside down from the primary because of some kind of dumb things one of the candidates said. Yeah, it certainly did. Uh, Cleveland Heights' first ever mayor is 42-year-old Khalil Sarin, who was not leading in the primary. He captured 60% of the vote. So yeah, it was quite a change because his opponent, Barbara Danforth, who got 40%, she had a pretty strong lead in the primary. Um, Only about 11,000 votes were cast in a city of 44,000. Chris, is that... I would have thought Cleveland Heights would have been more engaged and had maybe even higher voter turnout. I'm a little surprised at that. Yeah, that's about what I would have expected. I I thought coming out of the primary that Danforth would win big. But then she was asked about LGBTQ rights, and she hedged and said, well, I have to talk to the constituents. And if you live in Cleveland Heights, you don't have to talk to constituents. There is no doubt where the people of Cleveland Heights stand. And, oh, man, after that happened, that just inflamed nextdoor.com and inflamed Facebook. I think that alone turned this around and got people behind Sarah. It was a shocking lack of connection to the city Danforth wanted to govern. And that's very telling. If she doesn't understand that element of Cleveland Heights, she shouldn't be miracle. Right, Heights. right. That was a huge blind spot. And, and, probably the fatal mistake here because it was such a big flip-flop from the primary. Khalil Sarin uh, ran on his HOPES plan, which is healthy, open, prosperous, equitable, and safe Cleveland Heights. He will get a mayoral salary of $115,000. He'll oversee a $52 million budget and 450 employees. Of course, he's been on Cleveland Heights Council since 2015, so he already has his finger on the pulse of things. But yeah, I'm actually glad to see him win. Uh, The editorial 
editorial board did endorse him in the primaries. So uh, this is, a, I think, this is a good thing for Cleveland Heights. Well, the thing about the first of anything is it sets the mold. We we blew it with the county executive. We've had two people who were not good leaders, uh, and hopefully the next one will set the mold. And Saren offered a chance for that. He's he's he appears to be decisive. He appears to be have some vision. And if if the first mayor of Cleveland Heights comes in with a good agenda and and works with council to get it done, then the future is brighter. And he does have some interesting council members that uh, he'll be working with. Uh, largely, it looks like a pretty solid slate. The people of Cleveland Heights appeared to have shown great wisdom. So we'll have to see how he does. It's going to be interesting to see how a city that's never had an elected mayor deals with having one and whether he does a good job or stumbles. You're listening to Today in Ohio. That issue 24, the Cleveland ballot initiative to put civilians firmly in control of police discipline, pass or fail, and how close was it? Seth Richardson, we've already talked about how this played into the mayor's race. I, I, I think we all expected this to not have the same margin as the mayor's race if Justin Bibb won, but I don't think any of us saw this margin for this either. Yeah, a 19 percentage point margin, again, a huge victory for the, uh, you know, the issue 24 proponents and getting that passed. And, uh, you know, really from the onset, like once reports like uh, results started coming in, it always looked like it was going to win. And, you know, given the um, tie to the mayoral race where you saw this onslaught of attacks against it, I, I kind of thought that, um, you know, support for it would erode a little bit. And I guess when you consider it next to the mayor's race, it did. But, you know, again, a, a, a 19 percentage point victory for that issue for this, you know, a, a charter amendment referendum, uh, it's, it's significant. Yeah, look, I, 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 we had said this was going to win big. I mean, I, th- this, this just had the hearts and minds of Cleveland but but a 20 point victory, you know, there are those out there who are immediately going to try and get an initiative put on the ballot to repeal it. And that would be unwise now, knowing that Clevelanders voted in such large numbers. The, the thing to do is pick the areas that you think don't work, that will get tied up in the courts and fix them. But the people of Cleveland are fed up with the inability of Frank Jackson and Kevin Kelly and the police chief to hold misbehaving police accountable. That's what this is about. They're sick of it. They've had seven years since their original consent decree documents laid out just how bad the disciplinary process is. And as we learned Monday, it's still not fixed. So they went to the polls in big numbers and said, no, we're going to put people in charge. We're no longer going to let the police or the elected leaders do it because they haven't. And look, I go back to the riot in 2020 after the George Floyd protest, we all saw the video, right, of the police or the sheriffs or, or whoever basically doing inexcusable things, you know, shooting paintballs at a guy who was standing at the door of his apartment building, knocking the eye out of a guy who was walking down the street by the Justice Center. Cleveland City Council never held a legitimate hearing to analyze what went wrong that day, what went right that day, what they needed to change. A complete lack of accountability. So here we go. Civilians now will be asking the tough questions because the voters are fed up. It's a big moment.
Yeah, and I, I kind of wonder to myself, we've seen over the past you know, few years, especially where you have these citizen-led in initiatives on uh, certain issues where you haven't seen much movement really get kind of stifled from the onset. And just seeing the you know how well this initiative did, I wonder if there's going to be an increased appetite to you know have more of that kind of direct action, um, you know, especially during municipal election times. I, I, I do think it's a very distinct possibility because of what you saw. You saw people really kind of, you know, taking the uh, the onus on themselves to pass this thing. Well, I've heard from a lot of people in the suburbs who say, what are people thinking? You're out of your minds. What? Why would they do this? Crime is out of control. Almost making it sound like you need to let police misbehave or else you're not going to get crime under control. It's a weird connection they're making. But what it what it also reveals is they have no sense of what life is like living in city neighborhoods. And again, Justin Bibb picked up on it. Kevin Kelly obviously did not. But but this is heartfelt. You don't see that kind of a margin unless people are very upset about it. So I guess it's a big failing of the Jackson administration not to fix this process. since And this is the way people take control. We always say if you don't like the way things are going, your your power is in your vote. They certainly took advantage of that power. It'll be interesting to see if this gets fixed. It's clearly got problems, but how quickly can they get it fixed and into action? Big moment in Cleveland. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Did incumbents win the day for Cleveland City Council, or did the challengers make inroads? And what does it all mean for who becomes the council president, the second most powerful position in city government? Laura Johnston, this city council president's race is going to be interesting, kind of hard to call. Uh, there is change coming to the council. Absolutely. I mean, most of the incumbents won, but the maybe the biggest surprise of the night was that Anthony Brancatelli lost his council seat. Also, Dolores Gray fell to a challenger in this election. So the, that I don't think everybody saw coming, uh, but that will make an interesting Look, you, you last night were talking to Bob Higgs and, and Seth about what this means for the council race. And I don't think that we know exactly. You can start counting council people and where they're going to fall. You need nine, the support of nine out of the 17 to win this. But whether it will be Carrie McCormick or Blaine Griffin, uh, that's going to be interesting. We have a Courtney, Courtney Astolfi, our city hall reporter, is going to be looking at that. You give the edge, I think, going in to Blaine Griffin because he's been there. And, you know, everybody likes Blaine Griffin. He's a he's a great guy. I mean, he's really the reason Cleveland didn't have huge violence following Tamir Rice and some other things. But he was a big supporter of Kevin Kelly. And and in Mike Polensic's ward, Kevin Kelly got drubbed. And so you would think somebody like Mike Polensic or somebody like Joe Jones would look at how their wards voted and think, huh, people want change. They don't want the guy that's tied to what was. So... I don't know. Seth Richardson, you, you handicapping it, you'd give the early edge to to Blaine, but there's politicking to be done here. Yeah, I think I think Blaine would have the early edge just by virtue of, uh, you know, the relationships he's built over the years. You know, he's been active in the party. He's been active in city government. He's well known. And like you said, he's well liked. A lot of people really like Blaine Griffin. Um, but I, I, you know, given last night's results, I don't know that you could count out Carrie McCormack from you know, the conversation, especially with some of those upsets in those city council races and just seeing honestly how dominant Justin Bibbs victory was like, do some of the council members now look at it and say, well, 
you know, we, we really want to, you know, get our agenda in front of the mayor. And the best way to do that is to support the candidate who supported the mayor. Um, or do they kind of see themselves as, all right, uh, you know, it was such a dominant victory by Bibb. We need to have someone who is uh, maybe more willing to put some checks on him. Uh, I, I think that is probably the conversation that's going to be had behind closed doors. Although if Justin Bibb were to come out of the shoot saying things like, I'm going to appoint people to RTA that want to make that system free. And there's somebody that's his foil in the city council. That's not going to go well. Cause I, that, that would be a bold move. We'll put United, put us on the map nationwide. You know, it's not much money because we already subsidize it to like 90% rate. So I'm not sure the council members are going to want to have somebody that is making their position to thwart bold ideas at the beginning of a new administration. Cleveland, clearly wants those new ideas. Let's let's get back to some of the individual races. You know, Rebecca Marr is a, fan, a fascinating candidate. We've dealt mm-hmm. with her repeatedly in recent years in the in the um, pro- providing counsel to people who are being evicted and things. And it was a very tight vote on our editorial board as Lisa can attest. Mm-hmm. Some of us wanted to endorse her and we <laughs> lost the majority vote. Well, uh, I think it was a one vote uh, margin there. Yours. Uh, uh, so well, <laughs> you know, I, I tried. Uh, but well, it was I was just going to say it was a really tight vote last night. We're talking of 68 votes over Brancatelli. And that's a flip flop from the primary when she won by like 79 votes. So they have been neck and neck the entire time. But Brancatelli is a 16 year incumbent. Um, representing Slavic Village, parts of Old Brooklyn, Tremont, and Brooklyn Center. And I just know him as as um, someone who was always out in the neighborhoods, and especially during the, the crisis of foreclosure, <clears throat> excuse me, was was always around. So I'm I'm interested yeah. in that take. Um, but on the other hand, he's very much part of the Kelly machine that was in council. He did not do anything to help people on housing vouchers have the ability of choice. And you know, when you ask them about it, it was very mealy mouth. I mean, part of part of this election really seems to be people want change. They mm-hmm. want big change. He represents the status quo. And even though he did beat her by a handful of votes in the general, she showed in the pri- or in the primary, she showed in the general enough voters to change and, and go with her. I think she's going to be a significant voice on the council. Uh, very, very strong uh, opinions and beliefs. I, it, the coalitions that are going to be created there are going to be very interesting. And then Richard Starr. You know, Richard Starr was one of the chief characters of our a Greater Cleveland series because we based it out of the Boys and Girls Club where he was one of the chief people. We got to know him really well. Um, and he he he's a good guy. I mean, he really cares about the city and the neighborhoods it'll be interesting to see what he brings to this because he does understand what people are going through in poverty in a way that I think other candidates for council did not. I, I'm I'm looking forward to this. I don't think we've had this kind of dynamic in the mayor's office and city council in forever. And how does it shake out and what bold ideas do they bring forth? Uh, the battle for council president will be the first one. Seth, when does that usually take place? It's before Thanksgiving, right? Yeah, it should come up pretty soon because, you know, the the members want to get in and kind of know who they're going to transition into that role. Uh, So, yeah, it should probably be as soon as uh, this month. I mean, 
that they're going to probably start jockeying for this immediately, right? Oh yeah. Oh, I think they've lies. been jockeying yeah. for it for a while. <laughs> that, yeah, True. Good yeah point. that Good that point. started that 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 sort of dynamic started basically back when Kevin Kelly announced he was running for mayor. <laughs> Look, what eventually happens is one of the candidates gets the nine votes, and then he calls the other candidate and says, "I got the votes," and then they vote unanimously for whoever got the nine. I mean, it's like a unit thing, or else they can't be in the caucus. So. While the ultimate vote is unanimous, somebody's going to be working very hard to get the nine and then call and say, you're done. I got the nine. You're listening to Today in Ohio. We only have a couple of minutes left. So after following this election season to its conclusion and before you head into the next one, pretty much as soon as this podcast recording ends, Seth Richardson, what are your takeaways? What surprised you? What lessons did this season offer? Well, if you look at the year as a whole, it's almost kind of a tale of sort of two uh, really different elections in the Congressional District 11, that special election. You really had the establishment kind of flex and show that they were able to stave off a, uh, you know, a better funded, a more well-known challenger, you know, Chantel Brown beating Nina Turner. Ultimately, she was successful on Tuesday night in the general election. Uh, and then, you know, you flip the script and you come to Cleveland where you have this, you know, political outsider who's never run for office office who, you know, a lot of people really didn't know when he announced, uh, come in and have just a, you know, an, an incredibly, uh, huge victory here. And I sort of wonder myself, like, what does this mean for the dynamics of, uh, really just the, the political machine up here, right? The democratic machine. If you have Cleveland kind of drifting to more of this, um, you know, anti-establishment kind of mentality. I don't know that it's necessarily quite there yet, but you're going to have some very interesting party dynamics over the, you know, coming weeks and months, you know, to, like who, you know, is there going to be a new party chair because of how divisive that uh, uh, special election was? And, uh, you know, what does, you know, does a Justin Bibb coalition start, um, you know, having more influence over the county party? Uh, you know, those are the sort of things that I'm looking, you know, going forward and really sort of what role the county party is going to play in the 2022 midterms, because, uh, you know, the, the Cuyahoga County Democratic Party is imperative to uh, any chance Democrats have at winning statewide election. Well, there's there are two people that I'm sure were heartened by what happened last night, both Chris Ronane and Lee Weingart, who are challenging uh, Armin Budish for the county executive's job have to take solace in the fact that clearly people so clearly want to see change. We'll have to see if that continues into 2022 when all of those races are up. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Thanks, Seth. Get some sleep. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Laura. Thanks to everybody who listens to this podcast. We'll be back tomorrow. To-